Today we have two scripture readings. One is from Genesis 24, verses 10 to 15, and then down 17 to 19. And the second one is Genesis 29, verses 16 to 27. Now both of these stories have to do with marriage and love in the Bible, but they're two very different stories that we're going to put side by side. The first story from Genesis 24 is about Isaac, the son of Abraham, and how he finds his wife, Rebecca. Let us listen to God's word to us. The servant said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. I am standing here by the spring of water, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I shall say, Please offer your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, there was Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, coming out with her water jar on her shoulder. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me sip a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. As we jump to our second story, we'll see quite a different picture of how this went for Jacob, beginning in Genesis 29, verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful, but Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Marriage. We cannot do a family drama series without talking about marriage. You're married, or you know someone who's married, or you want to be married, not to mention the Bible uses images of marriage to describe Jesus and the church. Marriage. The movies, I think, tend to feel more like the story of Isaac and Rebecca. Somewhere out there, you have a soulmate. 
someone who is meant for you, someone made for you. They are the person you're meant to be with. You'll make each other happy forever. You just have to find them. Maybe you find them watering your camels. <laughs> or at school, through friends, eHarmony, you meet and it's love at first sight. It was love before first sight because you were made for each other. Marriage. In Hollywood, it's part of a story arc, right? This is how it goes. There's a meet, cute, your servant is sent to a distant land and the girl volunteers to water your camels. Boom. They're both walking dogs, and the dogs pull them into each other and get them tangled up. Boom. He's getting married. She's the wedding planner. Meet cute. Pulled together by fate. But then there's always a complication in these Hollywood movies. He's not meant for the girl he's marrying. He was made for the wedding planner. Uh-oh, what happens next? She's secretly writing an article about how to get dumped by a guy in 10 days. He's secretly trying to win a bet that he can date her for 10 days. The secrets come out. There's complication, fighting, dramatic music, montage of being sad without the other person. But then, then, it's Hollywood, so there's resolution. The problem is fixed because they are made for each other by the heavens, by the stars. It's meant to be. So they come back together, they get married, roll the credits. Get married, roll credits. That's how it goes in all of the movies, right? From the opening scene, the characters are on a conveyor belt towards spending their lives happily ever after. You just have to get a few things out of the way, and there you go. Happily married forever. It's the story. And on that story, if you're not married, something is weird. Your conveyor belt broke. The person who was made for you got lost along the way. Your scriptwriter called in sick. Something went wrong. So you just wait around until your Isaac or Rebecca shows up on your doorstep, led by God or the winds or the fates. Hollywood, frankly, is a lot like the Isaac and Rebecca version of how things go. They don't do much. For Isaac, the girl magically appears on his doorstep. He just shows up, says the vows, married. I think there are a few people out there in the world who actually have this Isaac and Rebecca experience. Someone falls into your lap, and in a whirlwind of romance, the meat cute turns into wedding bells. But a wedding isn't being married. I mean, legally speaking, it can be you get the certificate from the state of Alabama, I can do the vows, I'll sign the thing for you, and according to the U.S. of A., the two of you are until death do us part. But for the Bible, this isn't what marriage is about. For one thing, on the Hollywood understanding, if you're not married, something is wrong with you. You haven't found your person, or what if you don't have a person? You should have one. You need one. That's how the movie ends. Get married, roll the credits. Where's your person that will make you happy forever? And if you're not married, then you can't belong to the club of happy people. But in the Bible, if you're not married, welcome to the club. 
Jesus never married. Paul never married. Honestly, Paul says, and I am paraphrasing here, Paul says, listen, getting married, it's a pain. If you don't have to do it, personally speaking, I just wouldn't. (laughs) God will love you better, more faithfully take better care of you than any person ever will. Find me a person that won't let me, that won't let you down. I will hand you a million dollars. But God hasn't let me down yet. The Bible says, insists that not being married does not mean you're messed up. It does not mean there is something wrong with you. Because for the Bible, being married is right for some people, it's not for others, and it is not the magic pill for happiness. It's not. Because having a wedding isn't the same as being married. Let me say it like this. For the Bible, there is a difference between getting married and being married. In our first story for today, Isaac and Rebecca get married. At first sight, they are in love. It feels like the more appealing story of the two that we read today. Because in the second story, Jacob works seven years for his wife. He gets tricked, gets married to the wrong woman, the one he didn't want. And then he works seven more years. Decidedly less appealing. Decidedly more work. But you have to watch out. The Isaac and Rebecca story is rather deceptive. At first look, it's in love, meant to be, then the credits roll. The movie might end, but the Bible surely doesn't. We don't hear much about their lives after that, but what we do hear is incredibly tense. The two of them have two kids, Jacob and Esau, wonderful, beautiful. Then they disagree over which kid is their favorite. That's a little complicated. Isaac and Rebecca don't talk about it. They never communicate about it. There is no compromising about it. Then they scheme against each other to get their favorite kid the blessing. They deceive, they trick, they exploit. See, Isaac and Rebecca, they get married, a perfect Hollywood romance. But being married is different. Being married is more like seven years of hard work followed by seven more. Now we're talking about marriage today, but this isn't just about marriage. You see, in the Bible, marriage isn't all that unique. It's special, it's incredibly sacred, but at the heart of marriage is living in relationship with someone else in a way that imitates how God is in relationship with us. Beyond a wedding, beyond the vows, beyond the I do's, what does it mean to be married? Sharing a life, sharing a home. It can be easy to lose focus of what the point of marriage is. Just a security measure? Someone else who is as stuck with you as you are with them? A step of convenience? Saving money on rent and taxes? The Bible, that's not it. The point is a covenant, a promise that you make with that person, with the church, and with God to treat them the way God does, to imitate God's relationship with you. Listen to the classic vows. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for as long as we both shall live. 
that not how Christ treats all of us? Whether you're up or down, depressed or cloud nine, rolling in cash or pinching pennies, on death's door or the image of health, Jesus will love and cherish you. Which is why the Bible talks about marriage a lot. The church is called the bride of Christ in Ephesians and the wife of the lamb in Revelation. Israel is the unfaithful bride in Hosea. And God the maker is Israel's husband. God's covenant with us. That's what Christian marriage vows are based on. It is the highest ideal of how we are to be in relationship with one another for better or worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I will love you like Christ does. For Christians, Christ is at the heart of marriage. Without Christ, marriage has no direction, it has no goal. As Christians, we believe that the more a couple focuses on Christ, the more the marriage will resemble the way Christ loves us. The more Jesus is in a marriage, the more love there will be. Which is why, on the one hand, for Christians, marriage isn't that unique. We work to imitate God with everybody. As a Christian, we are called to love people regardless of better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness or health. Marriage doesn't change that. Marriage is simply a matter of priorities. That person, now that person is first. Your new hierarchy is God, then the person you married. We have a pastor friend who was doing an internship. He had just gotten engaged as he was working at this church. And his boss was this awesome guy. He looked at his friend one day and said, from now on, your biggest testimony is your marriage. It's not your preaching, not your teaching, it's not your serving in the community. Your biggest testimony is your marriage. That's what this covenant means. You love her like Christ loves you. For a Christian, getting married means promising to work every day to love someone else like Christ loves you. Being married means keeping that promise, which means it's going to be seven years of hard work, followed by seven more, followed by seven more. And this isn't just true for getting married. As Christians, and even more specifically as a church family, we are bound by promises too. Our church made a pledge when it was formed. Did you know that? The members said vows. They're even in our confession of faith, and they go like this. Do you, in reliance upon God for strength, solemnly promise and covenant with God and each other that you will walk together as an organized church according to the government of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church? that you will support the gospel as God has prospered you, that you will maintain this church, not only with your gifts, but also with your support of its work by your efforts and prayer, that you will seek in its fellowship to glorify the name and further the cause of our Lord Jesus, and that you will work to maintain the purity and harmony of the whole body. Isn't that quite the covenant you and I are in? as a church family. Might as well tack on for better or worse, richer or poorer, 
in sickness, and in health. The bond of the church becomes a part of our testimony when it works. Our testimony to the world is that we are a church that takes care of our own. We visit, we laugh, we serve, honor, respect, teach, cry, mourn together. That's a testimony. A promise that we made on our behalf in 1883. A promise we've inherited seek in our fellowship to glorify the name of God and maintain the purity and harmony of the whole body. We work to treat all Christians that way. But like marriage, our focus becomes this church. And you know as well as I do, loving a church like loving a spouse, well, that's seven years of hard work followed by seven more. If you show up at church expecting an Isaac and Rebecca moment, love at first sight, get married, roll the credits, then you can expect an Isaac and Rebecca outcome. Don't really communicate. No compromising. Scheme against each other. Deceive, trick, exploit. And frankly, that is not a fun church to be a part of. There is a big difference, you see, between getting married and being married. A Christian marriage is built on imitating Christ. That is our foundation. As Christians, we just acknowledge up front as human beings, we are not very good at loving each other. We're not that smart, caring, kind, or patient to really love someone. You've got to learn from the Master, so we learn from God, who is love. Same thing with a relationship. You're in all kinds of relationships. Friends, associates, members of the same church. Being any kind, in any kind of Christian relationship, that is seven years of hard work followed by seven more. Just look at Jacob's story. Because this story will hit home for everyone. Here, Jacob marries somebody. Translate that to dating, marriage, or even going to church. Jacob marries somebody, then wakes up the next morning, and it's not the same person. Literally, this has to be one of the most unique experiences in the Bible. But figuratively, this is just reality. Wait a minute, do you always snore like a car with engine problems? Wait, does it really take you an hour to get ready in the morning? Wait, do you actually always watch Sports Center? Wait, is that the only joke you tell? Because I've heard it a lot now. <laughs> Wait, do you really like contemporary music? Wait, there are assigned cues? Wait, are you the same person I knew before? Because it feels like I woke up one day and you were someone else. Sometimes this ends marriages, ends friendships, splits churches. Sometimes the changes are big enough, deep enough, that the person you knew is not the one you wake up to. There are new sacrifices to be made, new burdens on your plate, new challenges every day. Growing old together brings new challenges. Raising children changes you. Events, deaths, different pastors change the character of churches too. 
If you're looking for the Isaac and Rebecca conveyor belt to happily ever after, this moment is a sign that you've got the wrong person, the wrong church. Wave goodbye and try again. Because sometimes the other person makes that decision for you. Relationships are two-way streets. They meet in the middle. If they don't, there's not a lot you can do, which honestly is part of why it's so important that Christian marriages and Christian churches stand on God first and foremost, because if they fail, you're still standing on God. Jacob wakes up next to Leah instead of Rachel. He wanted Rachel, but he got Leah. We all have the friend, the spouse, the church we thought we were getting, and the one we got. And if Christ is at the heart of your relationship, you have a decision to make. In the Bible, there's confusion about Leah's eyes. Half of the translations look at it, and they'll say Leah's eyes are weak. The other half of the translations say they are lovely. I spent enough time trying to figure out which one is the right answer and have found that scholars don't know which word is the correct one simply because of how Hebrew works. It could be either word, weak or lovely. The translators of our Bible had to make a choice about Leah's eyes. So did Jacob. So do we. When we look at the stranger who came along with our spouse, our friend, our church, will we see the weakness or the loveliness? Apparently, it's our choice. Let us pray. Lord God, we ask that when we look around this room, Lord, around to our church family, or when we look at our spouse's who are with us. Lord, we ask that you give us the courage, the patience, the kindness, the meekness, the love to see each other as lovely, to be reminded of the gifts that sit all around us, the good that is in the people that are around us, that you would bind us together as a church that is covenanted with you as our foundation, that we might be imitators of your love to us, and that will be our testimony. Might our testimony be that when we look around this room, we see in each other lovely eyes. Teach us to love as you have loved us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.